Welcome to Fintech Impact. This podcast is an exploration of the financial technology world, interviewing different fintech entrepreneurs about what they do, their story, and what their impact is on consumers, incumbents, and the industry as a whole. Here's your host, award-winning financial planner, university lecturer, and writer, Jason Pereira. Hello, and welcome to Fintech Impact. I'm your host, Jason Pereira. Today on the show, I have Sam Kachwani. Sam is the CEO of Coral. Coral is a company that helps businesses raise funds through the royalty model as opposed to debt models and uses blockchain as a backend system for enabling that. And with that, here's my interview with Sam. Hello, Sam. Hey, how's it going? Good, good. Thanks for taking the time today online. So Sam Kachwani of Coral, tell us about Coral. Sure. Yeah. Thanks for having me. And uh, I would love to tell you more about Coral. So basically what Coral is, uh, we're building a revenue sharing investment platform to kind of build and minimize those inefficiencies of traditional finance and uh, especially at the fund uh, fundraising process. And we're using uh, automation, artificial intelligence to establish that. We're basically making it easy for startups to startups and small businesses to access fast, fairly priced and entrepreneur friendly uh, growth capital without the hassle of giving up equity, board seats, or control. And uh, the way we're building all of that and the interesting side of things is we're launching a security token uh, that's going to be the world's first uh, public uh, company once uh, once we have the regulatory approval. Okay, so we have a couple of things to talk about. Before we get to there, let's talk about your history. What did you do before you started Coral? And uh, what led you to start it in the first place? Cool, yeah. I've been, I've been in fintech before fintech got popular. Uh, but let me backtrack a bit. And uh, before that, so I'm originally a software engineer. I uh, slowly found myself in uh, product management, especially in the finance industry. It's, I'm, not, I'm not even, I still can't even remember how I ended up in finance or fintech. <laughs> I have like vague memories, but I started in the payments industry uh, with uh, Pivotal Payments in Canada and Montreal. Uh, and shortly after, I joined a startup called IOU Central or IOU Financial right now. I was their head of product, employee number four or five, and focused on owning the whole product strategy from A to Z. And then we went public in 2012. Uh, and then by the time I left them, we had half a billion assets under management in 2016. And that's when the whole coral idea started developing and that entrepreneurial bug I uh, kept growing and growing until one day I just showed up and said, okay, I'm done. I'm just going to go uh, do my own thing. Uh, but it all started with the idea of how we can help startups and small businesses get better access to capital. What a lot of people did not notice in the alternative and peer-to-peer lending space is that, yes, there was a lot of innovation on the technology side, the way businesses applied or uh, how there was the, that online portal where you don't have to do paperwork anymore. But the end product itself wasn't very innovative, right? Uh, it was still a term sheet loan, same criteria that the bank would look uh, would look at. The only difference is you now just have a website that you're doing all of that on. And that's when the whole idea started coming up to life where, okay, well, surely we can do something better uh, about the product itself. Forget about the technology for a second, the product itself. And that's when I guess started uh, playing with the concept of royalties, especially after being exposed to Shark Tank and working a bit with uh, Kevin O'Leary's group. Oh, Mr. Wonderful uh, loves Mr. his royalties. Wonderful. Exactly. So I got into that space and I was like, okay, let's just see how we can apply that. Here I am, two years later. <laughs> Excellent. So basically, companies come to your, are going to come to your platform looking to raise capital. They are not going to give up equity. They're not going to give up. They're not going to give up debt financing. They're not going to give up any control. 
what they're going to do is you're going to raise money in exchange. They're going to they're going to pay a royalty off the top. Can you tell me about the mechanism for how that works? What kind of royalty they're going to pay? How long it's going to last? Yeah, for sure. We we've positioned our product so that it kind of pay as you grow model. So we deploy the capital in a company. Let's just say hundred thousand, right? So let's say if you're you're a business that needs hundred thousand, come to us. Uh, we do all the underwriting, the analysis. Uh, within two to four weeks, we'll be able to write a check, and once approved. Uh, we do up to 10 times your monthly recurring revenue, right? So if you if we're giving you 100,000, that means you're doing 10K MRR and we funded you up to 10 times that amount. Once, once, we, uh, once we decide that we're going to give you that investment, we decide on a term sheet based on your risk, your uh, growth rates, your financials in general. There's different elements, almost 10,000 data elements that we look at. Uh, to 10,000 data elements. We'll come back to that. Uh, Keep going. Yeah. Yeah, that's a lot, eh? We're not doing it manually. <laughs> so I say, it's a lot more than my bank asked me for last time. And no, no, it's, it's yeah. fully automated. Within yeah. five to ten minutes, we collect all that data. Uh, but ideally, yeah. So the investment terms would be uh, anywhere two to ten times your percentage of your revenue or top line revenue. So in, re- in exchange of the ten uh, hundred thousand we provide you, we'll take two to ten percent of your top line revenue, uh, which is a perpetual royalty. So it will continue forever until you decide to buy us out. And that buyout of the contract is one to two uh, X. So let's say we do a hundred thousand investment at one X buyout and 5% uh, royalty rate. That means I'm going to take 5% of your top line revenue uh, until you decide you're going to give me back hundred thousand uh, on top. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. So basically bottom line, it's variable because as you're only paying it as you earn the money in the first place. So as long as the buyer can, or the person taking out this financing can, you know, reasonably assume that they can turn break, can even break even paying your top royalty. It's still cheaper than what you're currently looking at for again losing money to or money or control altogether to uh, to debt or yeah, exactly. So that, so that's that's one thing that people keep saying is like, oh wait, there's any like expensive options? Sure. If you look at it just from a pure cash flow point of view, uh, like right now, uh, yes, you are losing some of your revenue to pay off that investment, uh, but you're retaining equity, and equity is far more. Uh, worthy than a traditional royalty right now. Because if you look five years from now, when you have an exit, pretty much every round dilutes you by 20% or dilutes the co-founders by 20%. Yeah. But if you've like 100,000 costs you 200,000, let's say, or 250,000 over two, three years, it's still cheaper than 100,000 where there's no payment right now and someone takes 20% of your company. And well, that's yeah. something a lot of founders can't wrap their head around sometimes. Like, oh, wait, no, I'll just do equity because I get to keep my cash. Well, what do you want? Do you want to keep ownership or do you want to keep cash? You have to choose. Yeah, it's a delicate balance because cash is basically the lifeblood of any startup, right? But at oh, the same sure. time, you know, again, if you're an entrepreneur or an entrepreneur, you're doing this because you believe that this is going to be an incredible upside to you. Giving up that upside is painful, right? And every every time you do a funding round, it, you're basically there. Not only that, I said it before on 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 the podcast that you know you when you second you take venture cap funding, you're on a basically on a treadmill. Right, you have to hit a next target in order to qualify for another round of funding, uh, and you just you basically are not really doing the strategic thinking yourself in terms of growth. You're basically following the venture capitalists. Demands. Exactly, you're 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 trying to meet the VCs' terms, right? Ultimately, these guys 
I mean, we're venture backed as well, and it's a good model for some businesses, and not, but it's not a good model for every business, right? Uh, Especially if they don't have, have a thousand x upside, right? I mean, like these yeah. these guys are looking for very big upside, right? So if you're if you're looking content to basically say, you know what, this is going to become bigger than a lifestyle business, but it isn't going to be the next Facebook, funding that is going to be harder. Yeah, like let's just take an example, an on-demand flower shop, right? Uh, so an yeah. on-demand flower shop is going to have all the good numbers and the revenues, but is it going to be worth it for a VC? Or uh, And do you want to go to a VC, right? What's your exit strategy? Where, who's going to acquire you? I mean, you're a good business model. You're going to grow. It's a SaaS or, or like an online marketplace for, for farmers to sell to basically people who want to buy flowers. But still, there's no exit strategy there. There's no thousand X or twenty X, whatever you want to call it. No, no, and there's no IPO on that one. Yeah, plus, exactly. Plus, you want hundred flowers, which just had a hack, also. So, what you to do? Um, okay, so overall, so you said you've had, so you've had founders basically come back and say, "Well, you know, I'm having their trouble wrapping their head around." So, what, what's been the general impression from from um, entrepreneurs as to what you've been you've been showing them? We've actually been getting good feedback from entrepreneurs, especially that we're getting we're getting two categories of people, right? Or let's just say three. You get the folks that are not interested in venture capital. They know that they would never qualify from venture uh, for venture capital just because they're either too early for that and they have the revenues, but not necessarily for VC, or they have the revenues, but not a good fit for VC. That's one side. And then there's two that they have all the numbers and they have everything, but these are guys who are just hold equity for life and mm-hmm. they don't want to give it up. They want to bootstrap the business and have some cash injections from lenders or people like us. So that's that's the second tranche. And then you have a third category where people are doing a hybrid. We're seeing some people do hybrid investments, right? You know, I'm doing a 500,000 seed round or I know series uh, 2 million series A, but I don't want it to be fully equity. I want a portion to be debt or portion royalty, right? Yeah. Uh, so they come to us and they will diversify their investment. So we're we're getting different feedbacks from that. Okay, and I would think you know we're, we're talking about you know smaller startup growth companies altogether, but I would have to think that this model might be compelling as well to issues like surrounding succession planning as well, right? If you have very profitable businesses and maybe debt, especially especially if you're in a services businesses, you know banks don't exactly want to give up uh, lending to people who don't have hard assets. Um, so you know, finding another finding another buyer is not always easy. Sometimes it's just it might be you might be the better alternative altogether. Yeah, so like we where our product is a perfect fit for uh, cash heavy asset light companies, which pretty much banks turn down because mm-hmm. there's no collateral and there's a person and if you need you need a personal guarantee for that. Yep. We don't do any of that, right? We don't need personal guarantee. We don't require collateral because we take top line revenue. So that's, I mean, that's the kind of business we look at. We focus on software as a service, e-commerce, any business basically with a consistent source of revenue on a monthly basis, right? Now, if you tell me that you're more of a coffee shop that's doing a huge number and it's consistent, we'll probably still look at you, but we're more focused on tech-enabled online presence-based companies. Yeah, things that don't have, again, like as you said, cash flow heavy and low overhead. Yeah. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So... I'm curious, how do you enforce the uh, honesty in the system here, right? Because I'm guessing, obviously, if you weren't using some sort of tech and angel solution, people could just lie to you about how much money they brought in every month, right? Sure. Yeah, exactly. So that's why we don't deal with businesses that only accept cash because there's no way. (laughs) (laughs) There goes that coffee shop. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, when when the business applies with us, there's three things that we connect, right? Uh, One is their accounting systems. So with a QuickBooks Zero, other accounting systems down the road. 
We connect to their banks. So we have integrations with uh, US and Canadian banks where we're able to retrieve only data uh, from their bank accounts mm-hmm. and uh, payment processor data. So most of those companies would use, for example, like a Stripe, a PayPal, a mm-hmm. Shopify payment, uh, or they could be e-commerce, like they have an Amazon or Etsy, eBay, it's uh, Shopify. So we connect to all those tools and we also collect lens data online, like Crunchbase, it's, uh, social media presence, marketing campaigns. All of that. But the aspect of the financial data of revenues and how much revenue they emit is based on those deep pillars, the accounting system, payment gateway, and banks. And that allows us to monitor it on a monthly basis to figure out how much revenue they made, right? So that's why we ask each business to disclose everything from a revenue point of view and accounts point of view uh, and connect the ones that have the highest revenue in them. And then we monitor those on a monthly basis. And then we have, we're building our own internal flag indicators. So if a business applied with you and their accounting system was showing 10,000 in every month on average, and it's suddenly 1,000 in, it's like, okay, they either switch accounting systems and now they're disclosing the revenues and something else, or uh, their business is really going down. And that's basically a flag for us to go in and see what's going on. And especially that we have kind of insurance policy where we disperse our payments uh, slowly. So if a business wants 200,000, we don't give the 200,000 in one shot. We have the optionality of dispersing that on 50K, 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 let's say. So that allows us to monitor and proactively uh, show that. Uh, we have the right to call out, call back the loan or the investment uh, if uh, if we notice that there's tampering with, uh, with the data. But ideally, we use them predictive analytics and uh, fraud detection internally to see if they change their account. So you suck it all, put all the data. You basically calculate it with them or what, what, uh, what the revenue was. You probably give it a, based on AP, uh, an AR calculation, yep. you probably give it some leeway to figure out a couple of weeks after the end of the month. Exactly. And then you ding the account automatically based on that and send them a statement of reconciliation. Yeah, exactly. So we pick on the seventh business day. So the seventh business day of each month, we look at your last month's revenue, uh, just to make sure that everything has settled on your account and you've done reconciliations and everything. And on the seventh business day, we ping your account for the amount of revenue and take it out of your account. So we're also also friendly, unlike other lenders who would just take the payment out of your account no matter what, and they'll bring you to negative balances. We check your cash balance before it goes down, right? So yeah. avoid any NFL. Well, you're not, you're not, yeah, that's the thing is that, especially when we're looking at maybe, you know, payable cycles that might be prohibitive, you know, you basically receivable cycles that might be prohibitive. There's nothing gained by dinging your uh, partner here and making them incur bank fees, right? Like everybody loses on that one. Yeah. And then don't forget, like each business might have a different payment cycle, right? Like let's say SaaS companies, you have some payments coming on the first, some payments come in on the second week, third week, yep. fourth week. And then we take our payment on the first week, but let's just say that all your payments come in on the third week, then your first week payment is not, let's say the first month, right? Yep. We we already had skipped that high revenue curve of that month. So the first yep. payment would be low, but this follower payment will be higher because all your revenue came in that month, right? So it averages out compared to a traditional lender that takes a fixed biweekly payment, no matter how much your revenue was. Uh, there's periods where your balance can drop to negative, or if not yeah. even worse, and uh, that can stagnate your cash flow. And if, if they're smart about it and they're looking at their accounting software enough, I mean, some of these like zero will actually, you know, you can you can program formulas into them, right? So you can literally program in whatever the revenue, the 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 rate is times the um, the, gro- the the top line mm-hmm. revenue, and it can give them a running estimate as to what it's going to be before you even ding them. So that makes a lot yeah, of sense. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. So that we're, so that's one aspect of our platform is that. We're building all those insights and dashboards so the business can 
come to us at any point because we refresh that data daily. So they can come to us and say, okay, what's my projected payment this month to date? And we can see, okay, well, to date, you've made this amount of revenue. Your expected payment as of today is this, right? And you might that, get a role. For, you might get, be able to sell the dashboards after they're done. I mean, they're giving them better data analytics than they probably have themselves. Which is, which is actually, uh, which is good that you're bringing it up because that's part of our product offering as well. We're not just offering capital, we're offering insights and capital, right? So when a business connects with us, sure, they connect that data for us to do the due diligence. But do you know how much of a hassle and a pain in the ass to connect to four different portals and study your analytics and your KPIs and measure oh, them? So, yeah, so we consolidate all of that in one portal and you can see your, your, like your cost of acquisition, your LTVs, your churn rates, all of that. So, so when do you spin off that business intelligence unit? <laughs> Because there's another right. business. When do you spin off the business intelligence unit? Because <laughs> that's not uh, business. Yeah, exactly. Right? Yeah. So well, that's that's a work in progress. We have like yeah. we have the data already in the business. So we're yeah. just working on kind of flushing that interface out soon. But uh, we do have a report that we can give to businesses as of today. Just uh, it's more of a manual report at this point. Sounds good. So uh, basically, ten thousand points of data. So let's talk about that. Besides the very obvious, what are some of the crazier things you look for and at what, what kind of information does that give you? So yeah, so like, I mean, as I mentioned, the first two things you look at is accounting system, payment gateways, and uh, banks, banking, right? So within banking, there's different divisions of data we look at. So your deposits, your NSFs, your uh, OPEX, your expenditures, all of those. Mm -hmm. So we're not just looking at balances. Uh, like on the on the payment process side, you look at your number of customers, how many customers you board a month, how many customers you lose a month, how many payments, how many of your customers, for example, they ask for a refund or a chargeback, right? Or someone disputes your payment. All of these are indicators. Uh, accounting system, we look at your balance sheet, profit and loss, your number of employees, for example, that you board every month, how, how your payroll fluctuates. So that's just examples of financial data i don't want to even break it down i wish derek was here he'll tell you like every ten thousand one of them uh we definitely for a while the podcast is the last yeah. time okay. <laughs> so the marketing on the marketing side for example we're able to tap into google analytics your mailchimp campaigns your, to see how your conversions your bounce right. rate your, your goals are converting your engagement with mail your newsletters all of that kind of marketing to predict your conversions yeah. and your growth as the business. Figure out what their funnel looks like, figure out what their conversion exactly. rate looks like. We're, look, we're able to look to your LinkedIn data, for example, the management, the advisors, all of that. Yeah. We look at Crunchbase, Google Alerts on the business just in case there's yeah. management resigns, right? That's a bad flag for us. Yeah. So you mentioned AI previously. No doubt you have to use AI because you're not employing 10,000 people to, blind, to, to yeah. basically monitor all this. So yeah, you're, I'm, I'm, I'd be very curious in a couple of years to see how how you basically how these algorithms all work out and what kind of interesting correlations on behavior and whatever you you find because it's almost like it's a it's it's a it's not a behavioral it's almost a behavioral finance experiment but internal to organizations. Yeah, and it's a, and it's a five year plan, right? We're not we're not going to claim now that we have all of that working right now, but it's a five year plan for us for the AI as the data gets bigger and more stable. But right now, I would say it's fifty percent AI, fifty percent manual, and yeah. that fifty will go drop to 40, 30, 20. Uh, when you say fifty, I hope it's not fifty percent of the data points because that would be a lot. Um, yeah. <laughs> but but uh, yeah, I mean, this is the common curve that technology companies do, right? I mean, commonly use the example of uh, Lending Circle in the U.S., where they were like 
the the the, the lending that they did was eighty five percent correlated to FICO scores and right. initially, and now it's like thirty percent, and they're lending to more people with lower default rates than FICO ever would have. And basically, again, through taking in far more data than anyone traditionally could have. So it, data is the new oil, and it, uh, it can it can definitely enable you if you use it right. Yeah, that's like we're we're starting to see like traditional lenders or traditional royalty guys who do everything manual come to us is like, oh, you guys have a platform, you guys have pre-authorized deb- debits. Like, forget about the data, just the fact that we have it. That's the ability to actually ca- to collect it, like in an approval. Yeah, yeah. So same thing when we talk to banks is like, oh, like they have, they're not good. They don't claim that they're good at data aggregation and data cleansing because they're focused on the cash flow and probably yeah. the FICO scores. So that's like an interesting play for us at that point where it pushes us towards the licensing uh, revenue stream down the road. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, and it's interesting from an accounting standpoint, I mean, it's, I'm wondering how does, oh, anyway, I got to talk to my tax guy, I'm not going to bother you with that one. So what have the regulators said to you thus far? How's that, how's that conversation gone? Well, I mean, it's, it's going well. Look, part, part of working with the regulators is it's an educational and a working session, right? So uh, they have to regulate you and kind of come up with the rules, but they also have to understand how the current technology needs to play with the rules. Unfortunately, when it comes to regulations, it hasn't been worldwide. You usually you think, okay, things will adapt based on technology, but financial regulations is the only thing that will never adapt based on technology. And you see technology adapting or having to play within that financial spectrum. Yeah. yeah. So we're lucky in Canada that the regulators have kept an open mind and launched the uh, Canadian sandbox where uh, companies like us can uh, play within that sandbox and throw some good ideas out there of how to use blockchain or how to use new ways of funding within the current uh, regulatory regime, right? Yeah. So, so to their credit, they've been very open and that's been the general feedback I've gotten and from my conversations with them as well. It's it's quite it's quite different for a regulator to be to be open to this level of innovation and change. I mean they're still not they still ain't moving quick anytime soon. But that being said, they're at least they're telling you how to play within the current confines. So well yeah, and and then that's been our mission from day one. Be fully compliant, not and that's one of the things that we don't use the word ICOs, we use security token offerings just because of the connotation it gives uh, these days. Uh, but I mean, we, we follow the regular. Yeah, we follow the regulatory approach from day one, and and it's funny because when we our first meeting with the regulators, we just mentioned that hey, we're we're launching a security token, and they laugh because usually everyone comes to them trying to prove their utility token. Yeah. <laughs> Like, I they never want to be called a security token because, like, oh my oh, yeah. god, you're gonna be up my butt yeah. about this. Like, yeah, exactly. Well, so let's talk about the security token. Tell me about it. Uh, purpose, functionality, when you hope to launch. Uh, reception from the from the regulators, all of it. Yeah. So as I mentioned, like to you, uh, there's certain things we can discuss uh, from a on the security tokens point of view. All I can say is that we've been working with the regulators for the past year now. Uh, our token represents equity in our company. Uh, we're effectively going to be uh, once approved, obviously, uh, effectively be the world's first public company to trade through a token. Right. So Coral is going to be a public company yeah. once approved by the regulators and. Uh, one thing we can state for sure is that we pre-filed a prospectus, right? So usually when you go public, you have to do a preliminary prospectus followed by the full prospectus. But because of the novelty of what we're doing, we had to do pre-filing of a prospectus, so a third level, which they review and go back to us with questions. So we're in that phase right now. And we'll keep everyone updated as we are able to. Uh, but right now, from a timeline point of view, we can just say Friday. 
Which Friday? We'll see. <laughs> Fair enough. So uh, we are. Uh, so that, you know, that's an incredibly compelling conversation piece there. So, so end of the day, you are a publicly traded company, but you don't trade on exchanges. Then you solely trade over, or like not traditional securities exchanges. You're you're a token that changes over token exchanges. Is that the case? Or am I wrong? Yeah. So so when we become public after approval. Uh, we'll be able to trade on security token exchanges, right? So yep. if you like Apple, Google, all these stocks, they try it from TSX, NASDAQ, and YSE, right? So yep. like there's stock, traditional stock exchanges. You're starting to see traditional crypto exchanges like Binance, Coinbase, maybe CoinSquare down the road, I don't know, uh, mm-hmm. adapting to support security tokens. But we're also seeing traditional exchanges uh, adapt to support that. So you've, we've heard about NASDAQ, we've heard about TMX Shortcut, yep. we've heard about the CAC in Canada all having efforts right now to support security tokens. So technically, we can list on any exchange down the road that's going to support security tokens, even the traditional ones, once they support it. So yeah, the way it makes perfect sense. Asset, like, I mean, yeah, you'll, just, yeah, you'll buy security tokens. I mean, yeah, it makes it makes perfect sense. I mean, like, frankly, securities, security token, you know, ownership, sale, and management uh, was is basically something that blockchain is a perfect fit for. So, I mean, I, you know, it's it's no it's a no brainer to say that at some point in the future, pretty much every security will be a token, and that opens up some interesting opportunities because I mean, things like fractionalization of shares, right? Like, yeah. whereas now, well, yeah, it's self sovereignty of your shares and all. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, now you have a couple of companies who who will allow you to do fractional shares. Typically, some of the robos will do and stuff like that based on the custodial abilities. But in general, I mean, no, no more rounding errors. You know, <laughs> it'll be nice. So yeah, so that's uh, yeah, first. That'll be that'll oh, be. Now. Sorry, and forget forget it, like as well. Like if you look at the security space, there's so many players, right? Like CompuShare, CDS, and oh, the exchange, yes. the transfer agent, custodians, all of that are just. It's like why the blockchain is there can facilitate that, but well, if you apply and, the regulatory, you know they're all waiting for disruption because they're all terrible experiences. Anyone who's ever tried to deal with them, and you know, God forbid, like as usual, I always I always love when people basically have these things printed and leave them in a drawer and forget that they exist or they get shredded or destroyed. And you get to contact one of these companies to get them to get them basically reissued or. You know, or conversely, basically, you had them on there and you forgot about them. Like, it's just, it's a terrible experience start to finish. And it's one that is definitely, if it was more public facing, you probably would have seen disruption to it previously. But because it's in the background and it takes something as paradigm changing as blockchain to replace it, you know, it's, it's a big difference. It's a oh, big yeah. difference. And, and I think these players are starting to notice that and they know they have mm-hmm. to prove it and the industry is moving there, especially the, that the regulators are keeping an open mind, right? Mm-hmm. But like, is that going to happen next year? I don't think so. I think this is a five-year plan if we're lucky where you're not going to hear of CompuShare or CDS. Uh, I mean, they're they're useful and great for the current market. But if you're starting to tokenize the assets, everything is on the blockchain. You don't yeah, need it. That's the point. We don't need you. Your, your yeah. smart contract is that. Now, yeah. are they going to adapt to become more of an infrastructure uh, company to support security tokens? That's something else. We'll have to let uh, the future going to decide. Yep. So the, and that takes me back to this. So the funding is going to come largely from that raise, or did you raise it? You raised elsewhere for venture cap, right? So your initial pool of capital, venture cap. Okay. Have you been lending to date or is this still, this still in the works? So or, we're planning to start investing in companies in, I would say mid January, as of mid January, but right now we've built a network of partners around us. Uh, we're, we're open to, for business, right? So uh, businesses apply with us and we all do, we'll do all due diligence and we built a connection of capital partners around us. 
uh, where we can refer deals, right? So if, if we can't fund it ourselves right now, we'll just send it to capital partners like and royalties, VC, traditional debt. So we'll help the businesses in the meantime uh, get the capital they need. Excellent. So you've won at least one, if not multiple awards. Isn't that the case? Uh, well, we've, we were nominated for, uh, for the top 10 Canadian lenders uh, of Canada. But okay. we also won uh, Toronto's uh, best uh, startup, tech startup award for 2018. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, I, I talked to a lot of startups since the podcast. This is the first time I've seen this model done. I remember the first time we chatted, which was like a month or two ago. And yeah. I was at first, I was like, I'm not quite getting this. And you explained to me, I'm like, okay, this is quite brilliant. Um, uh, <laughs> yeah, we're, you're definitely coming on because we're going to talk about both your security token and what it is you're going to do for businesses, which I find incredibly compelling. So a couple of questions to wrap things up before we finish. Ask everybody. So if you had one wish or something you can change uh, right now in terms of your business or the industry, tech industry in general, what would it be? I say maybe regulations, more of a open one universal regulatory sandbox around the world. That's definitely. So it's like you need to make that happen. Yeah, right. So like, if I get away, so it's like I have compliant in Canada. I'm compliant around the world. I don't deal with the SEC anymore in other countries. But that's my biggest wish, I guess, right now. And uh, yeah, uh, I think that's for me. Is like I'm wishing something for our current blocker right now <laughs> to move faster, but. <laughs> Uh, I would say that, uh, but I'll I'll, st- I'll stay I'll stick to that for now. <laughs> Good. All right. And then second one is, what's the what do you feel the biggest challenge in getting to where you've gotten thus far has been? Hmm. I mean, it is like there's a lot of things you get into in the space where you have to learn as well and adapt. I think part of it is I've never claimed that I'm an expert on all fronts. So part of part of the challenges were I had to learn as I go. I I started as a software engineer, switched to product management, and now I'm a guru. <laughs> I'm a guru on securities law. <laughs> so like that's been one of the challenges, like learning, like, oh, well, we want to do this, but oh, wait, we can't do it because the lawyer said we can't. So you have to go learn how to adapt the product. So one of the challenges, you have your thinking hat on, but it's like, oh, wait, I can't do it because there's this chain here and there's this chain here. I can't do that. And I think that's been one of the toughest challenges. And the second is more, when you're doing something new, you have to explain it. So when, I don't know, when Uber started, like, oh, wait, you know I mean, I'm not jumping in a cab. It's someone else who's giving me his car. So you have to, you have to explain the same thing for companies fundraising, right? Because yeah. most of the companies that come to us are like, oh, is it a loan? Is it an equity? It's like, no, no, no. It's equity, right? So it's a royalty, but it's different. And we don't, we're the, we don't take uh, shares. We don't take board seats. Part of that challenge is more explaining the product. But that's as a team, we're working on kind of dumbing it down through our content on our website and messaging out there. Excellent. Uh, and the last question is, what's the thing that excites you the most about what you're working on or just the involvement in this community and in the business? Like what gets you out of bed every morning, happy to be doing what you're doing? And you better uh, be happy at this stage because if not, you're in the wrong. Oh, uh, yeah, for <laughs> sure. Exactly. <laughs> just a heads up for everyone listening. If you're not happy doing what you're doing in the morning, so you probably should switch. No, um, uh, what excites you the most is like talking to people and knowing how we're adding an impact and in, mm-hmm. in the financial world and the startup scene. Forget about security tokens. What we're doing there in security tokens is new and novel on its own. It's definitely exciting, uh, especially that's always evolving, right? And I'm happy that we're one of the leaders in that space. But what excites me is that we're actually contributing and I'm getting to do something that I had on my mind for the past three years where there's better ways to revamp raising money. 
right? So yeah. not forget the technology, it's the product. And that's one of the things that excites me that knowing a few years from now, people would be talking about royalty and revenue sharing investments instead of just venture capital all the time. So. Excellent. Excellent. This has been fantastic. I encourage people to check this out. I mean, I am compelled to take a deeper look and think about how this can apply to my businesses going forward. <laughs> uh, thank you for it. Cause this is, I think this is going to help a lot of people. So well done. Thanks. Yeah. And if, uh, if you're a business looking for the next funding round, you need help, uh, just insights, uh, please give us a shout, uh, check us out at coral.io, C-O-R-L.io. Yeah, and it'll be in the show notes. Thank you yet again, Sam. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah. So that was my interview with Sam Kachirwani of Coral. I'm sure for many of you, that was your first exposure to the royalty model and the ability to use that in various diverse types of businesses. I found it very fascinating and I hope that uh, they gained some traction. So with that, as always, thank you for joining us. And uh, this has been FinTech Impact. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever it is you get your podcast. Take care. This podcast was brought to you by Woodgate Financial, an award-winning financial planning firm catering to high net worth individuals and their families. To learn more, go to woodgate.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, or find more episodes at fintechimpact.co.